Hi, ever wonder what it's like to work another profession or live in the underworld? Listen to Unsuspecting Riders give a 10 to 15 minute personal masterclass as I spontaneously interview them as they enter my taxi. I'm your host, Simon Rushton, and this is Taxi Chronicles. Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another rider. Today we have the lovely Ruby and her husband, Will. I assume they're married, I'm making assumptions. I don't want to get anybody in trouble here. But Will is, well, let's start with Ruby. Ruby's um, software in tax, but um, we will give that a slight miss right now. And we're over to Will, who's going to be dealing with wine. So we've done an interview this week already regarding someone with wine. So let's, let's see what knowledge we have that Will can, Will can share with us. So nice, nice to have you here today, Will and Ruby. Ruby, you can jump in any time, by the way. But not, nice to be here, Simon. And just to uh, clarify, we are husband and wife. So uh, <laughs> the, the, there's no, uh, no shenanigans going on here. Okay, that's good to hear. It would have been interesting. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, could have got us in trouble. <laughs> But anyway, um, so furthermore, tell tell me, what were you two like when you were in school? Oh, uh, smile for Ruby's face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed school, but I think um, I'll be honest. Like the older I got, and the less structure there was, probably the uh, less that I tried. Um, so I enjoyed school a lot. I think I probably could have done better academically. But um, I feel like I still learnt quite a lot when I was there. Did you get the GCSEs that you needed? Yeah, I got the GCSEs I needed. I didn't do, get particularly good A-levels, but I still got into the university that I needed to. So uh, in that respect, I was okay. And yourself, Ruby? Um, yeah, I enjoyed school. I ended up going to an all-girls school. It was quite bitchy, to be honest, but um, it was fun. Um, it was really, really good to kind of experience some of that kind of different characters at an early age. And then I ended up bizarrely kind of being head girl of a C of E school, um, but I'm Asian background, so that was really weird because that's not my religion, so it was really interesting. Um, so interesting that I didn't want to do it initially, and then I was kind of encouraged to take on the role. And that was really fun, and I think that I made a difference there in that I made a few changes and tried to make my mark that are still there at the same school, so it was really good. And then went on to the university I wanted, the career I wanted, so really good foundation for the future, really. So you wanted to do a career in tax? Now I'm a chartered accountant, um, ended up specialising in tax, uh, big four for 18 years, got a bit bored, and then moved to the glamorous world of tax technology, where I've been for three years now, so yeah. Got a quick question I'm going to throw in before I jump to Will. With this Uber situation, I'm not sure if you're familiar about it, where we're called classed as workers. Right. Does that change? Is there a big difference between workers and self-employed? Oh my goodness, what a tax question. So I specialise in like indirect taxes, like sales tax, but I would say like from um, the question you've asked, yeah, it's down to whether you're employed or you're self-employed. And there are different badges of trade that would apply. So it's going back many years to kind of training that I had. But there are implications from a tax perspective that I won't want to kind of talk about now because I'd probably get it wrong because it's not kind of my specialism right now. But yes, there are differences. Okay. I'll be, I'll be and I, I will stop there, right? Because yeah. otherwise it's, I'm going to get it wrong and that's not good for anybody, especially not you, Simon. Okay, then, Will. 
Okay. And and, and um, Ruby, when was it that you decided that you are you're destined for the career you're in? Uh, so basically, when I was younger, um, all I really wanted to do was snowboard. Um, okay. And uh, so when I was still at uni, I went over to New Zealand and I did a snowboard instructor's course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my head, my my immediate future was going to be going northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere winters, teaching snowboarding, uh, having a having a bit of fun, and uh, and that was it. And um, I think probably my mum and dad were massively uh, excited about that as a uh, as a career option, having uh, you know invested a lot of time and effort in me. Um, and so my sister took me to a place called Vinopolis, which uh, has been closed for a few years now. It used to be in London Bridge, and it was kind of like an interactive wine museum. Oh, I know that. Yeah, I don't know if Next you remember that. Nando's and the Wagamama. Yeah, exactly. Is that yeah. closed still? Yeah, it's closed it's down now. Wine, yeah. wine tasting place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you... Because, yeah, the lady mentioned that on the last interview. Go uh-huh. on. Uh, yeah, yeah so, so basically, like, you go around, and it's like you you it, you sort of travel around the world of wine, tasting different wines, learning a bit about it. And um, what I kind of noticed was there's a lot of countries in the world that make wine that also have mountains. So I was like, surely there's something I can do here where I can be a bit of bit of a bit of a, a career, but also still indulge in my my passion. And um, and so that was that was the big big aim. So I went and did this course. There's um, an educational body called the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, and they have professional qualifications. And back this is going back to 2005, so it's a long time ago now. Um, uh, you could go straight into this course. Level three it was called the Advanced Certificate, uh, and I signed on with no idea what it was about. I did a five-day course, and I somehow managed to pass this exam and get this qualification. And then um, I, I'd always, like, after I graduated from uni, I, I'd always planned to go over to Japan and do a ski season there for for six months. So I went over there um, and I injured my back, like I aggravated a, an injury that had been sort of brewing for a while. I've got uh, prolapsed discs in my lower back uh, and so I came back from from this this season in Japan how did you injure yourself well initially I was playing rugby when I was a kid when I was a teenager um, it, it, was, it was like wear and tear anyway but uh, uh, so rugby exacerbated it and then snowboarding it made it worse and worse and it just sort of has, has deteriorated progressively over the last sort of 15 years I've had a, a few epidurals and um uh, a lot of physio and stuff like that but um yeah it kind of happened again in it happened like early on in japan and uh, so i came home sort of tail between my legs we're like not really gonna have this life that i envisaged in my 20s where i'd be going around all, all these different countries and snowboarding loads you do i was like pull-ups sorry you do pull-ups uh yeah i, well, from I, I do i do i try i'm not thinking <laughs> of them <laughs> Pull ups and lift up your knees and all of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I try, I, like I try, I try and uh, I swim a lot now and yeah, yeah trying to do core exercises. I've been told for years and years I should be doing loads of Pilates and mm. I occasionally try and do that, but um, it, it comes and goes. But um, okay. but yeah, I got I got back from that sort of terrible between my legs. Uh, moved back in with my mum and dad, which was a bit of a culture shock. Um, and uh, I got a job in a wine bar. I had this qualification anyway. What did your parents want you to be? I, t- I don't know. I, t- 
there was like there's never a... and what's your background because from why I ask that is because you seem to speak about what your parents expect of you right and many th different cultures sometimes right. just do what you want to do get on going out there and yeah you know you're speaking like yeah well my parents want this so you want to please them kind of thing so my 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 family are from South Wales, so okay. that's my my culture, I guess. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, but um, yes, yeah, so I I think they just wanted me to have a to to find something that I could carve out a career in, I guess. Alright. Probably that's probably it. So yeah. So does he Ruby does does Will choose the right wines for the right mills? Yeah, he does absolutely, but he's not a ponce about it. To be fair, he just, like, and I like that. No, I really like that because when you think about people that work in wine, without being rude, I think a lot of people think of people that are quite stuffy about it. But he's really not. And when we're out with friends, you almost have to stuff the ven, you know, the menu on him because he's like, oh no, no, he, you know, he's letting other people choose, but he'll he'll let he'll choose if people want him to. So yeah, there's a, a an abundance of wine in our house. I don't tend to choose it. If I'm on my own, I'll go to M&S and pick something that I think is pretty decent for about a tenner, but it's not good enough for Will. He'll probably, you know, if he can, he'll, he likes to get stuff from Wine Society or Majestic as a minimum, but um, normally from, from nice places that I don't know about. But he's not stuffy with it. It's just sometimes very affordable. But when we do drink wine, it tends to be more than, you know, what you'd pay in Tesco or Sainsbury's. It's like... You know, even everyday drinking is not just stuff off the shelf. It's kind of nicely picked, which is good for me because I don't have to think about it. It's just there. Have you given Will a cap on how much he can spend on wine? I don't, you know, I wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> just like he wouldn't dream of a cap on me for, I don't know, I'm not going to talk about uh, spending money on tax because that's ridiculous, but clothes, perhaps. Clothes, okay. No cap. No caps needed. Have you ever, what's the most expensive bottle of wine you've bought? Right, it's a really funny question because when I started dating Will, I met Will uh, underneath the Deloitte and Touche offices in central London, right? So one of the big four organisations, accountancy organisations, and uh, it was after a May bank holiday weekend and, you know, I was young and tired because I've been partying all weekend and mates were like, let's go to this Argentine wine tasting. And I was like, I'm tired, I don't really fancy it. And they're like, come on. So I'm going to pop in. It's a Tuesday night after a May bank holiday weekend, right? I went in and Will's there and... Yeah, I was like, he looks all right. And anyway, the rest is history. But let's just fast forward about a few weeks because he was mainly in the south of France doing wine stuff. So a few weeks later, we had a date and he cooked for me. And I had this dilemma, like, what do I buy him for wine? What do you buy someone that works in wine? So I phoned a friend. He's, he's a, an accountancy friend. His name is Ross Hay. I'm going to say that because maybe I'll get him to listen to this. But he lives in Switzerland now. So Ross, who's also in tax, by the way, because we're cool. Because uh, you can be cool and work in tax. Okay, well, <laughs> Ross. That, that's debatable. So Ross owns a vineyard, or he did, on the south of England. And he's like, south coast of England. And I happen to be best man for his wedding, but that's a whole other story. But anyway... <laughs> Ross is like, give me, give me like the menu for like the local shop or the, you know, the the list, the shopping list. So we did, and it was um, that French shop that you get, Nicolas. Um, Nicolas, right? And they wrap the wine beautifully in a box, and they present it so beautifully. Anyway, Nicolas, and uh, I said, what wine should I buy? Oh, we don't know if we're going the wrong way. Give us a minute, everyone. Don't um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's all good. So we. Um, I went in this wine shop and uh, he told me what wine to buy. It was £20, which at retail price, I'm like, bloody hell, that's a lot of money. This is like 2009. That's like 
you know, quite a long time ago. £20 not in a bar for me is a lot of money on a bottle of wine, but apparently the good thing about this wine that it was a blend of, a unique blend of three different grapes and a bit, a bit unusual. That's all I can say about it because I can't remember what the rest of the story was about it. But when I presented it to, wine, uh, to Will, he gave me this whole little story to give about why this was a special wine, okay? And I was meant to present it to Will on our first date when he cooked, cooked for me and make out. That was really special. But I literally was like, um, I bought this wine because my friend told me to buy it because he owns a vineyard and this is why it's special. But um, yeah, no, uh, I think it was good, if memory serves me correctly, but it was £20. So that's the most I spent in a shop on a bottle of wine. I mean, obviously in a bar or a restaurant or a pub, you spend a lot more. But £20 in a shop to me was a lot, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Probably still would be now, if I'm honest. Okay, Will, what's the most expensive bottle of wine you've bought? Um, that, that's a tough one because there's wine that I bought that's purely as an investment right. that I would never open that would be... Um, you have to keep that at the right temperature. Yeah, so um, you need to keep it at uh, um, a, a, a temperature. It needs to be consistent as well. Like, So wine doesn't like uh, spikes up and down in temperature as well. Um, but I store it all in a bonded warehouse, uh, so it's all professionally stored. Oh, so you're one of those as well. Yeah. One of those yeah. people. Nice. I met a street guy. He used to be a drug dealer. Right. He decided he got into wine. Some guy. It's a bit like a mentor or somebody he bumps into, and then he, he ended up. He said the first thing he went to do is change the way he speaks, so he can speak more posh on the phone. And he ended up getting into the wine business, and he's made so much money that he bought a flat in one year. Wow. wow. So he's doing good. But that's one of the early episodes. But back to you, Will. Okay. So how much? <laughs> Avoiding the question. Um, like for in- investment uh, purposes, uh, probably like £2,000 a bottle. A bottle? Um, Do you know this, Ruby? Yeah, yeah, I kind of did. No, did you Not going to lie. Did you hear how he said... Per bottle. <laughs> so how many did you buy? Six at a time? Uh, that, a yeah, I mean that would be six packs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you sure he's not the accountant? <laughs> <laughs> he's just chopping down at numbers. Huh? <laughs> but, but you but you know this 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 is the sort of stuff where it's twelve grand, yeah. Yeah. Twelve grand of wine. But but I mean it it that that is using the knowledge that I have but so making an educated decision on an investment is not something that's not anything that I would open at home yeah I understand um, what's the most preferred wine that you have that you like to have I mean uh, Napa Napa Valley Cabernet so we know without a doubt where's that from so, so California California okay. yeah I didn't know they were I never thought of them there because I always think of French, Italian, yeah. South Africa. That's yeah. so interesting that you say that. So, so f- I don't drink, by the way, so there's a, quite a high element of ignorance <laughs> coming out of my mouth here. No, no, I mean, you're, you're spot on, like, obviously, like, France, probably the most famous wine-producing country in the world, uh, produces, you know, some of the greatest wines ever made have come from France. They have that, um, that history and that heritage. Um, you know, especially Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, sort of Rome Valley. But um, yeah, I mean, I just um, I love California as a place. Like I fell in love with it as a teenager when I went over there on holidays. And um, and uh, Napa Valley is very, very, very special. Um, it's a very small wine producing region, uh, but they make some incredible, uh, particularly Cabernet Sauvignon. So yeah. 
What would you say you've learnt from being in the wine business and the tax business for yourself, Ruby, that you wish you knew when you had started? Oh, that's a great question. I think probably um, like just the the uh, the power and value of um, like human interactions in a and 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 kind of in the context of of like business. So, um, I'm I would say that I'm not the most gregarious gentleman in a, in an environment, but um there's so much value in talking to people and I think it's getting lost these days um, and probably if I'd had a chat a bit of a nudge to myself when I was younger I'd be like talk to as many people as you can especially in person because um, that this yeah there's so much value in that that's a hard one um, if I was talking to myself when I was significantly younger I don't know I think it's about um sorry this is very taxi so i apologize for that it's about getting it right i guess and making sure that your compliance is spot on and make sure the calculations are right as opposed to the planning and i guess i got that quite a few years ago actually like in 2009 i kind of moved from tax planning to tax compliance and i think that's where the future is about technology it's about getting it right and I think a lot of businesses are using are moving that way. But but get the human element and the, the the ability to work with someone who gets it and is not, you know, really boring and dull with it, I think is what keeps it exciting. So that, that's what I'd say. Sorry, you can't make tax that exciting, but I tried. Okay. So if you could do any job in the world Ooh. and money wasn't an option, yeah, what would you do? Um, that's hard that is hard right? probably something outdoors I think in the fresh air like, honestly it's, I, I think being like um, a livestock farmer or something like that would be amazing I take it we've got no vegans in the car <laughs> there's definitely no vegans in this this in this part of the car no I don't know I can't speak for you Simon I ain't no vegan <laughs> And, um, I've done interviews with vegans, but I'm not a vegan. But, okay, what about you then, Ruby? I think these. I think the view on this changes, right? Different ages, different times in your life. Like um, with children right now, I think I'd like to run a cafe or something. Like, not that I'm a good cook or something, but I think if you serve a bit of wine on the side, which we can get Will to help with, bake a few things, which we can get Will to help with, because he's better in the kitchen than me. Basically, it's all about Will. I'll do the numbers and I'll deal with the people. Will can do the cooking and sort out the wine. That's what I think. So that's what I'd do if I could. That's a very professional answer. It is a very professional answer. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> that's just where I am right now in my life. You two have children? Yeah, we've got two children, yeah. Really? Yes. I know, we look fresh for Ace. Yeah, you're just ha happy young couple in that sense. I just thought that's what I saw. But, <laughs> you okay, think? You're, you're doing something right. Yeah, we're actually going to get them right now. That's why you're taking us, Simon. Okay. Right, they're at someone's house. They're going for a play date. Oh, so that's, that's the secret. Ship, that's the secret. Ship them out. Ship them out <laughs> but we've got Prosecco and beer waiting. Not only have they got a children, they've got drinks waiting for us. It's perfect. Okay, that's good, that's good. The reason why I asked that question is because they say the true success is doing something you love and getting paid for it. So, Ooh. when I... What's it? Whoa. So when I ask that question, it's in relation to some people say they're okay on doing what they do now because they're really happy with what they do. Do you see? Do you, do you see that? Yeah. The, th the thing is, though, right? Um, it, 
this is the, this is the thing. Is, is the, there's, I, I feel like there's this this kind of I, ideal that you know you find something you love, and, and if you can make money out of it, yeah, you live in the dream. Right? But I, I love wine, and I make money from wine, but I also have to run a business. So it isn't just about the fact that I have passion for the product that I sell because I have everything that goes with running a business. And there's a lot of things when you run a business that aren't fun, but you have to do it. So I feel like it, that, that kind of message is, yeah, I mean, look, would I encourage people to, to start businesses selling stuff they love or that element of it 100%, but you have to remember that there is always that graft as well. And there are always going to be things that you don't like. So it's that but it's finding that balance isn't it um but yeah i see where you two match do you because yeah. it's quite well, different no no it's not that way you answer the questions are very exact very professional very straight <laughs> and, and no matter how i ask some little antagonizing questions you just keep it balanced yeah just you know it's like a it's like a boxer you, you bob and weave and so my answer to that that question is I'd love to be a model or a sports athlete or whatever or someone that gets um, makes a lot of money out of something that they've managed to enjoy and get a lot of pleasure out of but uh, I, I mean I'm not saying I don't get pleasure out of tax but uh, I guess the key thing is are you having fun and if you're not you know you spend far too much time working to not have fun so yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I couldn't deal with waking up every day and not enjoying what I'm doing so I do enjoy it even though to a lot of people it would be boring and if I didn't enjoy it then I'd stop so last question you've been great guess what's the impact you want to have in the world <gasps> oh leave it in a better place than when I joined it I'm not going to tell you when I joined it but <laughs> okay. I'd like to think that you're doing things that make a difference big or little Will's mind just ticking over. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, that's a knock, big question, man. Knockout answer. It's, it is. It is a big question. And I thought a lot about this when you see people that leave these like legacies, you know, like climbing mountains and stuff like that. It's amazing. But for me, it's like, I, I, I definitely agree with what Ruby said about trying to leave it in a better place. And I think right now we're at this crossroads, particularly in terms of climate and trying to live, you know, climate change and trying to live a. You know, uh, better better existence in that respect but you know ultimately what my legacy is my children and and the two of them and and what they grow and become and achieve and and i think that that my impact on on the on life is going to be what they do really that's a strong answer okay and he's obsessed with recycling by the way thanks thanks a lot for that interview much appreciated thank you very much and we wish you well We hope you liked that interview. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to get the latest daily episode. Ever considered investing in a continent with the fastest growing economy and population on Earth? The same continent that holds 30% of the world's known natural resources? Then listen to our sister podcast, Africa Investor Stories, where you will hear real investors with real stories from around the world share the experience of investing in Africa. We post Monday and Thursday at 10am.